Thank you so much for listening to episode 26 of the Kindness Rebellion. In this episode, I spoke with Kyle of the Rising Consciousness Community. Kyle is an entrepreneur and the host of the Psychedelic Revolution podcast. Um, This is a podcast that is focused on the renaissance of psychedelics and what it means for our culture. And he has a lot of very interesting guests on there, so you should definitely check it out. Um, And it is such a great conversation, especially because we literally talked once via Instagram and we were just like, let's do a podcast together. Let's, let's, uh, Let's talk about this because there's so much to learn and understand with the world of psychedelics that it was just a, a really, really good conversation and it was fun to talk with him. You know, we talked about kind of like the uh, the recreational use as well as um, the spiritual and even the political ramifications of this renaissance. So it's a really interesting conversation. I'm so excited for you to hear it. Please like, share, and subscribe. Do whatever it is you do to let us know that you like the podcast. Without further ado, let's jump right in. Thank you so much. This is a podcast about rejecting tyranny and oppression by cultivating both systemic and individual change. I believe the only way to create this kind of monumental change is to inspire understanding, love, and kindness. From there, we can work to embody these essential values in our cultural systems and in our individual lives. My hope is that by effectively communicating with anyone and everyone, we can establish a shared vision for humanity and explore new ways of living to build a better world for all of us. I'm your host, Nathan Jones, and this is The Kindness Rebellion. Hey, Kyle. Thank you so much for joining me on The Kindness Rebellion. Uh, We kind of, you know, had a brief... uh, message and interaction online and and we kind of and I kind of realized that we were just on the same wavelength and I I loved listening to your podcast the psychedelic revolution and uh that's kind of why I wanted to have you on so thank you so much for being on with me today yeah great to be here thanks for the invitation and I'm glad the the podcast is reaching some more more and more people which is really exciting for me yeah awesome it's a it, yeah I've listened to a couple episodes excited to keep listening to more and then following you on your journey and everything uh, and uh so I, I'm happy that we're kind of ending up on the same space and on the same wavelength. So uh, yeah, it's, it's a cool opportunity. And I guess uh, the way I'd love to get started is just because, you know, I, I do kind of, uh, we just barely met and kind of just uh, scratching the surface of each other's journey. So I'd love to get a, a really broad view of uh, what is the psychedelic revolution and, and what brought you to this, uh, this point in your life journey. Love to hear about it. Yeah, absolutely. I think Broadly, the psychedelic revolution is the reemergence of psychedelics into society. You know, following the, the Nixon war on drugs and the Reagan war on drugs, I mean, psychedelics are coming back to a town near you really soon with all the decrim nature and you know the decrim ac- ac- activities taking place in Colorado and Oregon. And I think there's 18 states now that have some decrim legislation that's passing through. So it's really coming to society and i think that it's really needed and i i think the psychedelics play a role in in raising the vibration of the planet and certainly in all the mental health crisis i I saw a stat the other day that one in four adults has a diagnosable mental uh you know disorder whether there's depression or anxiety and and that's just you know obviously society is not working if if that's Mm -hmm. how we're living and we're living in a fear-based world. Mm -hmm. And I think psychedelics can really, you know, they're not the answer because there's a lot of work that goes following psychedelics. And I think that's really the new revolution, which I think is uh, is really exciting, where maybe in the 60s, you know, the psychedelics were so new, 
with LSD being the primary psychedelic at that time as well. You know, mushrooms weren't that widely dispersed in the 60s. It was mostly LSD when people were doing psychedelics. Mm -hmm. And that's a very different experience as well, if, if you've had experience with mm -hmm. LSD or, or mushrooms um, or ayahuasca. I mean, they all have different um, experiences that you can take from, from them. But I think a lot of what is really exciting to me, is, and hopefully this is where the field goes, is, is it looks like from a maturity perspective, where it's preparation, the journey, and then the integration into how you can take that into your 3D world. Because you can take lessons from psychedelics, but if you don't integrate them into, you know, how you act as a man or a father or, you know, any role or, or mother, you know, it, it doesn't, it's just a trip. It's just mm -hmm. doing drugs. Yeah. And I think that's a, a difference in this new psychedelic revolution is that hopefully people are looking at it from a way to raise their consciousness, you know, to become kinder. I love the kindness re rebellion, mm -hmm. you know, and that's, I feel the same way, you know, I, like psychedelic re renaissance is a term that's used often, mm -hmm. but that's a little too soft for me. I think it needs to be like a revolution to, to kind of radically change some of the paradigms of society and culture. So that's where, where I'm coming from. And, and really it's a lot of fun to be part of this space too. I, I have to admit it's, I really dropped into this space because I wanted to meet some really exciting new people and friends and, and expand my own personal network of friends. Mm -hmm. and, and that's where the podcast came from because I, I, I'm not short of guests. Let me put it that way. There's so many <laughs> incredible people that have a lot to say that are very eloquent and have a way more knowledge about psychedelics than I do. Mm -hmm. But I really enjoy, you know, being on the microphone and, and doing a podcast. So that's where I got, got going. That's and I also started the, the rising consciousness community as well, which is really the first step, my first foray into the psychedelic uh, space as well. Mm. Awesome. I, that's a, that's a cool journey. And I, I totally agree with you. This space just has a lot of uh, beautifully minded people. And I think it really is elevating our consciousness in that way. Um, and so just to kind of connect with uh, like-minded people who have had those experiences and are kind of like coming from those experiences being like, this is, this is like a tool for changing humanity for like, uh, for elevating our consciousness, like you're saying to, to uh, push forth better ideals, especially um, the ideals that I've kind of experienced through these substances of just like love, connectivity, and just like um, just the vastness of, of knowledge and everything like that is just such a, a beautiful world. And one of the other things that I really love that you mentioned there was um, just how it's not it's not necessarily like a like a cure all. Like it's not just cool. You're going to take a trip and then you're free and then you're you're clean and everything. It's like you have to be able to integrate it into your life. Um, and utilize the lessons that that these substances teach you. I'd love to dive a little bit more into that. What are what are some of those um, what are some of those lessons that you uh, that you got from psychedelic experiences and were able to um, kind of learn how to integrate into your life and, and what did, what did that look like for you? Yeah, so there's really been like two periods of my psychedelic uh, experiences and journeys. And one period was when I was in my early twenties. I was very much into the, the San Francisco music scene. I was a DJ on KUSF uh, San Francisco in my college years. Cool. And early Burning Man, I think I went to Burning Man in 1997 or 98, with there's like 3,000 people there. Mm -hmm. Just that experience. And, and that ended up, you know, there was a lot of psychedelic use, a lot of MDMA, you know, rave culture in the 1990s. You know, it was a, hip hop was at its peak. It was a great time 
to live in San Francisco and be involved in music and radio. And but then as I got a little bit older, it, it was a, turned into abuse, really. Mm. And it was like every weekend and it wasn't honoring the, the plants and the medicine. And I remember we went to watch it was Christmas Eve when Lord of the Rings came out and we were all going to watch Lord of the Rings, everyone who wasn't going home for Christmas or whatever. And one of our friends just was like, oh, we're all going to do mushrooms. And it was no plan. And he made this really, really strong brew. And like Lord of the Rings was should have been enough. You know, it was like <laughs> such a great. And we all did mushrooms. And it was just this experience. And as soon as the I was really excited to watch the film, I loved Lord of the Rings. And it was a really important books for me before the movies came out. So like I was really fired up. And as soon as the movie started, one of the girls we were with just was like, stood up, you know, was like, I'm out of here. <laughs> And I looked down the row, and there's like 10 of us at the movie, and no one went with her. And I'm like, fine, I, I got this one. You know, <laughs> so I got up and went out, and and I, I just was just tripping so hard. I was at this big movie complex, and I had to, like, sit on the escalator. You know, I couldn't stand <laughs> on the escalator. It was too much, and it was like Christmas Eve, so there's people everywhere. And it's just, like, really not the best place to be tripping. Yeah. You know, set and setting was not ideal. Mm. But you know, it was fine. I was I'm pretty. I was a pretty experienced tripper at that point, and I was just really concerned about my friend because she was starting to have a harder time than anyone else, you know than people normally have. And I just took care of her and, and got us back to my apartment and just took care of her that evening. But I really, I remember just walking the dog later that night and just being like, that wasn't that wasn't beautiful. That wasn't sacred. Mm. You know, it wasn't that bad of a trip, but I was just like, this isn't how I want to approach the medicine because previously I really approached it even in my youth as, you know, really dropping into something sacred and, and, and meaningful and, and conscious expanding. So I took a break from then, uh, kind of got my life a little bit back on, on gear and, you know, ended up having a family and got married and, you know, maybe there were occasional, smaller journeys in, in the time in the meantime it wasn't like a complete break but it was an analysis of how i wanted to approach uh drug use at that point and some mm -hmm. of my friends well, one of my one of my friends in particular who i did a radio show with at the time um jorgen stenson dr fuglefish on the radio i mean he ended up going down a really dark drug path and ended up commi uh, committing suicide mm. so there's there's a dark side to these drugs with, in, in medicines when you overuse them I think they're medicines when you use them with consciousness and with intent. Mm -hmm. And I think they can quickly become drugs when you don't. And and I think there's a difference in, in the, you know, the connotations of both those words. Mm -hmm. and, and I think that, the, you know, you want to approach it from a medicine sacred experience. And, and then later, when I got back into psychedelics, which I'm in now, I would say, like my, my second revolution mm -hmm. in my own personal life is like coming out of COVID. You know, that I was really, I got very depressed at the end of 2022, you know, 2020 and 2021, the beginning of 21, it was a really dark time for me. And I, like many people, right. And, and, but I decided, okay, this is a new way to do, you know, I started looking into psychedelics again. I was aware of all the research that was going on. And, and I read that Francois Borzat's book, um, Conscious Medicine, hmm. And, and that was really a, a new approach on how to approach psychedelics. And it was very mindful and with a guide and with intention. And I found a guide and uh, I signed up with her and I did about like a month of preparation with, 
you know, I, I tend to smoke a lot of pot still and I didn't smoke any pot and I didn't drink. And I just kind of like met it, got really mentally prepared for it and did a macro journey mm. and, and then integrated that with her, you know, with a few different talk therapy sessions and really just decided that like, okay, this was awesome. Really set my life back on track. I really helped my depression there. Um, you know, there's still some areas to, to work on, mm -hmm. but I decided to start a psychedelic organization at that point and to connect with more people like this because I felt, you know, this is really a new way of approaching psychedelics. And I wanted to to share that, like the maturity approach to it, because mm -hmm. I think I had a lot of experience with the non-mature approach as yeah. well. And I, I think that, you know, if you look at fears I have in, in where the psychedelic space is going to go is that A will be like totally commercialized and not mm -hmm. approached from a sacred perspective. And so I hope to try to just raise, raise awareness in, you know, different way of doing it. And fortunately, so many amazing people I've been able to meet through the rising consciousness community that really are pros that have way more experience holding space and psychedelic, uh, journeys and what can come up and whatnot. And, and, and it, I've just been really fortunate to meet some really beautiful people. And so that's why I created the podcast. Cause I said, you know, these people's voices need to get out uh, more than mine. And most of what I try to do on the podcast is just ask probing questions and, and not tell my story so much, but to hear from their, their perspectives. Yeah. I like that. Well, I'm happy to give you a chance to, to share your perspective and your experience here. Cause like, I think that's, that's the really powerful thing about psychedelics. Like when you have those experiences, they they just have these like this powerful influence over your life where you just are, you know, it sounds like you had these experiences that like made you want to really drastically change a lot of your life. And and uh and yeah, it's it's wonderful to hear from experts and understand like, you know, the perspectives and the history and the the deep knowledge, but even just like hearing your story and uh, and even thinking about my own story, it, it's really beautiful to see how these play a very powerful role in like everybody's lives that experience them. So thank you for your, uh, your work um, with amplifying these, uh, these uh, voices in the psychedelic community, because it's, it's very, very important. And uh, thank you for sharing your story too. Cause uh, I think it's, it's, it's really great to hear that transition of just this kind of like, unconscious immature sort of use of these uh substances to realizing that you're like there maybe there's something more for this for me here um i especially like love that perspective overall that's i never actually experienced um sort of like the party drug culture with any of these substances um the first time i tried to take or the first time i took psilocybin mushrooms we were trying to have like a party setting and it was not it was not a party for me i was immediately like going deep into my psyche and kind of like withdrew from everybody. And uh, I kind of realized that it had to be sort of that sacred experience for me too. And so it's, it's wonderful to hear that kind of that transition um, that you were talking about. And then I, I did want to ask, and, and you are totally welcome to say no, but I kind of wanted to hear more about um, that, that journey that you ended up taking um, where your psychedelic use was integrated with therapy. Um, if you're comfortable sharing that story. Yeah, sure. I love to talk about my psychedelic journeys sure. as well. They're really m meaningful days in my life. Mm -hmm. But let me be clear, I'm, I'm all for recreational use as well. Okay. So I, I don't think it's like has to only be in a therapeutic session. Mm -hmm. And particularly when you're younger, I mean, some of those were the most meaningful 
you know, times of my life. And it was really stupid. I mean, we almost like blew up a car with fireworks on mushrooms one night, you know, and it was just like a really dumb decision to launch fireworks, but it was hell of a fun time. Right. Yeah. And we're lucky that it didn't explode. We, like went under like a Pinto and we're like, I remember just watching it be like, Oh no. Oh and my it, God. Luckily it was a dud, you know, and, and other things like that, like really stupid experiences that I think is great to have when you're in your twenties. Mm. And, you know, if I was doing that now, I, I probably wouldn't be very proud of where I'm at. But when I was 20, it was just, we just ran down the street and kept running, right. And doing to the next fun <laughs> thing to do. So I'm not, I'm not, I don't think it's like one or the other. I think that, mm. I think it's really on, you know, as an arc of, maturity in, in life processes, right? Mm -hmm. it, it, you're at different stages in life. I know when you look at, you know, the Hindu religion approaches, like there's four kind of unique stages in life. And it's like, you know, adolescence and then parenting and, and being professional, then kind of post that. And then there's like your retirement into being like a, like a hermit, you know, meditator. Mm. And I think when you are in different stages, you know, and this one of the reasons why I really want to create an ecosystem that really is, creates a safe way of, of using psychedelics is I have two children. And, and like we mentioned, psychedelics are coming to this, you know, culture, whether we, whether you like it or not. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's being decrimmed and the, the American Medical Association wrote not too long ago that by like 20, 37, the whole country should be decriminalized in the progression. And I think it's going to be a lot faster than that as well. So these are going to be choices that our future generations are going to be confronted with way more than maybe we were, because it will be available like pots available now, you know, pot used to be harder to get when I was a teenager, because mm -hmm. um, you couldn't go get it from a store. Yeah, essentially. Uh, so I think that there's a way to create a respect for the medicine. And then also safety, you know, I think if we can, so many people fall prey to predators in this space. And I think we need to create a safety net around that and raise awareness of like, what are appropriate behaviors from a guide or someone. Mm -hmm. So the people who were just trying to learn about psychedelics and maybe don't know where to start, mm -hmm. don't fall into, you know, bad situations. And then the other component is like the fentanyl, you know, and the drug, the drug sourcing is really dangerous as well and drug you know you should really have a testing component to that and and who knows how to do that accurately i mean it's not that easy and fortunately i don't you know i have very good sources for medicine but i i'm in the industry i know the people you know i have, I have a psychedelic podcast mm -hmm. and i think that there's a lot of awareness around that to to grow from but you know, so let's drop back to my first experience. You know, it's really interesting. Hunter S. Thompson plays a major role, mm -hmm. like an arc through the entire uh, journey of my psychedelic um, experiences. And, you know, I remember reading like Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas was the first book I ever read, like just sat down and read from front to back mm. and, and was amazed by the, the story. You know, I was very interested in all the beat writers like Kerouac and Ginsburg and in high school. and and was really like really well read in in terms of the beginning of psychedelic you know ken kesey and electric cooled acid test and all, all those books i devoured and was really interested in experiencing psychedelics and i remember that i i got to see hunter s thompson speak and i asked him a question about you know how do you know you're ready to do acid or to do a psychedelic journey and he gave an answer that said he said you know, psychedelics like amplify who you are. And, and if you're 
you know, loving, kind, compassionate person, then that's who's going to come out with psychedelics. But if you're a psychopath, you know, your psychopathness will come out. And he's like, you really don't know fully until you take that acid, what you're, what you are. And it really opens you up. And I think that's, you know, like your heart was expanded because you're a loving, kind person. But I don't think the psychedelics are just like all going to inject like loving and kindness into everybody. Mm. So I remember when I went to a fish show the next the next day, actually, and uh, we my friend who I was meeting there had already dropped acid, and we were like that we didn't really talk about the plan, but I mean we kind of knew what we were doing. We we're going to fish, right? Yeah. So I'm like, well, why didn't you get me some? And so he ran back and got the other, found the, the acid dealer, and I remember walking to the edge of the parking lot it was at umass amherst and uh just like looking at the clouds and it was a really cool sky and i'm like well let's find out if i'm a psycho or not and drop the acid <laughs> and uh i remember right when it was like coming on so the first time it, you know it starts to come up it's really interesting experience right and it started we we're waiting to go into the show big lines and it started to hail storm like really big balls of hail and me and my friend were just like we didn't know if that was real or not. And everyone's <laughs> running for cover. And we're just like looking around getting pelted and with hail bombs. And, <laughs> and, and I remember we had to ask someone, like, I was like, is it really hailing or is this like, we just started acid and we don't know. And the guy's <laughs> like, yeah, dude, don't you hear feel it fitting your hitting you in the face. And, <laughs> and then a huge rainbow came out and then, you know, the crowd had completely dispersed for the hail bombs. And we just walked straight into the, into the, the center Wow. And, you know, it was very, I was like, so then I was like off on, on the, to the races, you know, that mm -hmm. experience, big ass rainbow came out and everyone started cheering and, you know, it's a really great day. Um, <laughs> and then later that day, I remember we just kept having to, we were driving around cause we didn't really have a place to stay. We sort of had some friends there and we just kept park. I remember we, we, we got to like ban listening to Jimi Hendrix on the radio because we ended up just parked. You know, we just wake like whoever was driving was smart enough just to pull over. Yeah. <laughs> and, but we'd like all come to like, be like, whoa, whoa, what are we doing? And we're like, oh, we're parked again. We parked like five times in the, uh, to get across town, you know, and we we're like, no more, no more Hendrix on the radio. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, that was like immature. That wasn't safe at all. Right. Mm -hmm. But it was really fun. Yeah. And I think that that's kind of like a rite of passage when you're, when you're younger. Um, that's funny. Which is it's it's interesting because, um, you know, I, I think uh, a lot of the things that you said there about sort of like the recreational use are um, are, are very true. Like like this revolution, this uh, this renaissance is happening, whether we like it or not. And uh, trying to trying to control it or pigeonhole it into like, no, it has to be this thing. It has to be this thing just isn't going to work because, um, you know, it's just going to become more abundant, as you were saying, um, and people are going to have more experience. So I, I really do agree with the idea of like uh, focusing more on harm reduction um, and a lot of education to make sure that people are simply using it in a, in a much in, a, in a, the safest way possible in terms of like. Um, knowing what to expect, knowing what could go wrong, and then just having uh, kind of having safety routes out out of those situations if if you get into a, a dodgy situation. I think um, uh, you know, and I also agree that something you said earlier about uh, kind of the fear of it being commercialized, right? Like I, I do, I do like that cannabis is is more accessible now, but I've also hated just watching it become nothing more than a commodity, and uh, and kind of what the industry has done to it in in sort of uh, 
you know, just commercializing it and really just using it as a for-profit business and everything like that. And I am kind of nervous about um, psychedelics being used that way as well, which is why I really prefer the decriminalization route. You know, like at the end of the day, like it's probably, it's better to uh, criminalize people for things that are actually like, you know, if, if someone's going to blow up a car because they're on acid, why don't you just criminalize them for uh, blowing up the car, not for doing acid, right? So like, there, there's things that like we can do there to to respect the medicines and then, um, and just understand like, look, it's kind of like you were saying, like it amplifies certain behaviors, right? So like, it's like, they were probably going to blow up a car anyways. <laughs> they just were having some fun, right? But um, that's kind of the way that I see that whole process. And I'm kind of, uh, I'm kind of curious what your thoughts are on that. Because I, I like what you were saying about Hunter S. Thompson about how he was like, it really just amplifies kind of um, who you are already. So kind of one of the questions that I had is like, who should and shouldn't take psychedelics? Like, is there really any sort of uh, um, barriers that should ever be in place to stopping people from uh, accessing these things? Um, because like you said, like, oh, it's really only a problem if you're a psychopath, but maybe a psychopath isn't really going to be self-aware enough that they are a psychopath until maybe they take these substances. So I'm curious to hear what your thoughts are on that. Like, um, is there any sort of population or uh, maybe group that you think shouldn't take psychedelics? Um, or do you think it's just a matter of um, building those safety nets, like you were saying? Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's for psychedelics or for everybody. But I think I think particularly if you have any, and I think this is pretty well understood in, in this you know, if you have bipolar tendencies or any schizophrenia, I don't, I don't think that that is well understood. In some ways, they may be able to help, but I think that has to do with like, you really need a trained professional who can diagnose those bipolar schizophrenia components. You know, and if you have any inkling that you may be in that that uh, population. You probably are, you know, have a therapist at this point now. You, I would hope, and maybe just talk to your therapist if you're, if if psychedelics are a good route for you. I mean, that's the. I'm not a therapist. I'm not really a professional in that space, but I think that, you know, people should. I think therapy is a great thing for everybody to be to be part of, uh, whether it's for psychedelics or not. And I love to see the therapy uh, industry moving into adding psychedelics to their practice as well. A lot of therapists are. Are taking additional psychedelic training. I don't think you need to have be a, a therapist to be a psychedelic guide either. I think there's lots of merit of having a relationship with the medicine directly. But I mean, I'm not, I'm not really, you know, skilled enough to say who who should and shouldn't. But one thing I think is important is that there's this idea of like, you know, more is be always better, and and I don't think that's always true. I think mm -hmm. I think the dose should be like as as minimal as you need to get to where you want to go, mm -hmm. and sometimes that is a macro dose to really open things up. But I would say, you know, start small if you're if you're just starting out. You you know, take a start with microdosing or or take like a one or one or two grams and go for go in nature and and go with someone who's not on psychedelics mm -hmm. who can who can be safe to protect, you know, protect you and make sure you're out of harm's way and, and just kind of approach it like that way. If you're just getting started, you know, um, but at the same time, you know, taking larger doses is really, really beneficial as well too. So I, I think it all comes down even frequency. I mean, I think different people respond on how often they should do the medicine versus others. And again, I think it comes down to 
trajectories of life and personality and things. There's no right or wrong way to do this. Um, and, and I think it really is a personal choice on how to approach. I totally agree with you about the decrim element. And I think the decrim is like the most important, you know, uh, component of the psychedelic revolution because the, the war on drugs was, I mean, we know that was like a racist plan mm -hmm. from the Nixon administration. I mean, it, it, it's proven that that they plan to, you know, isolate the hippies with marijuana laws and, and go after the, the inner city black population with, you know, heroin mm -hmm. and, and, and then in the eighties with crack. And I mean, it's the, the prison industrial complex is something we should really be ashamed of mm -hmm. as Americans. Mm -hmm. And so just putting people in, in jail for wanting to explore their consciousness, which should be everyone's right to explore consciousness mm -hmm. in any way, shape or form that they decide to do that. And then also to people who have addictions to rather than to treat the core of the addiction, but just to lock people away mm -hmm. uh, for addiction or, you know, mental health disorders uh, without treating the root cause of the addiction, which is probably some trauma from childhood or whatnot. I mean, I think there's a really screwed up uh, approach that we've had in this country on, on drug law. Mm -hmm. And I think that the decrim is a major component to change that. And then I think, you know, when decrim comes across the nation, I think that people will be able to grow their own mushrooms. And if you grow mm -hmm. mushrooms, you can successfully grow mushrooms now with all these different kits out there um, pretty successfully without a lot of effort. And you can grow more than you would ever need, you know, really fast if you make a successful grow. Yeah. And I think that that will be something that will be kind of more standard where people will grow their own medicine and then, you know, the give, grow, share mm -hmm. model will flow from there. And, you know, I think during my podcast with uh, Carlos Palooza from Decrim Nature, which you probably listened to, I think he he said a really cool way of approaching. He's like, we should approach it like how we regulate food. Like if you mm -hmm. can grow tomatoes in your backyard, like you can grow as many tomatoes as you want. But when you start to try to like, sell those tomatoes then maybe it should be regulated in a in a commerce kind of way mm -hmm. and that, that's what i think legislation you know when the commercialization of psychedelics should look at like maybe in, in that standpoint but if you should be able to grow as much as you want and 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 create as much as you want in your own garden in your own closet whatever you want and not go to jail for that mm -hmm. uh and that's where i think the decrim nature in work that they do is so important and also the other decrim organizations as well. So I think that that's a really important change in the future. And what I also, another component of the space, which is really interesting is the women uh, that are doing psychedelics. Mm. And you asked me earlier about like how psychedelics affect me and make me feel. And what, what they really do is, they connect me into like a divine feminine energy mm. and particularly the energy of like the earth and the energy of, of the moon and the energy of nature, which is really a feminine energy for me. And I look at like the protection of women and promoting women in this space as being the same, same energy of, pr of promoting psychedelics and promoting the decrim movement. You know, it's all interconnected, you know, psychedelics have been repressed. Uh, women have been suppressed uh, for thousands of years now, at least 2,000 years. Mm. And, you know, the purges on on the women medicine holders and the mystery schools. I don't know if you've read the book, The Immortality Key. Have you read that book? Mm -mm. 
oh, you, you got to look it up. It's Brian Martruska, and he basically traces back the origin of religion through the mystery cults of paganism mm. and how the mystery cults and even early Christianity were probably psychedelic revo- uh, religions. Okay. I've heard, I've heard that theory before, but I, ha- I didn't know like uh, essentially where to like read about it or anything. So the immortality key, right? Yeah, the immortality key. I recommend that to everybody. When you read that, it really kind of changes. And, you know, a lot of the gospel was like, they just added a couple chapters that made it seem like the men did all the, all the work. Huh. Uh, and they, re- you know, removed some of the other ones, like the, the book of Enoch. Mm-hmm. You know, they just deleted that one because it was more like mysticism and, and, and spirituality. And uh, it's just the, the way that our culture has evolved in the last 2000 years, you know, there's a lot of damage that has been done to our connection to the earth mm-hmm. and, and, and our connection to where our food comes from and, and our health and, and psychedelics have a way of, of reminding you that you're part of that ecosystem of the earth and, you know, that, that every day is earth day. And, you know, we used to really respect our, you know, no, don't harm our women and, 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 you know, give them more power than, in voice and, and acknowledgement than they currently have mm. not like a glass ceiling thing, but just, just to be, you know, use our masculine energy to be kind and gentle. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was one of the best lessons I ever had from a, a teacher who's this Hawaiian Kona. And we did the ceremony and at the end of it, it was like a rebirthing ceremony. And he was sort of like the one who met you on the other side. And he just said, use your strength to be kind and gentle. Mm. And I really try to live that that motto and that that's how you can be a real strong man. I mean, the, the biggest guy in the room never gets in a fight, mm-hmm. right? He doesn't have to be the aggressor because, you know, the, the people who are really, really strong don't really have to get angry. Ang- angry is like, anger is like a, a failure to be, use your strength, mm-hmm. right? Like, it's a, loss it's a reaction to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sorry to interrupt. No, so I, I think that, you know, the psychedelics do a lot more than just, you know, open you up to new new energies and new pathways. But I think they can really bring you back grounded to really connection to ancient energies as well. And, and you know, things that we've lost. We've lost a lot of community. Mm. We've lost a lot of sacredness and just life, you know, living in, in the patterns of the harvest and the moon and the seasons. Mm-hmm. And I think as a species as a human species we need to tap back into that and to be a little bit more closer to the earth and to the land and um you know one of the things that like the 60 and timothy leary you know the tune in to turn on drop out Mm -hmm. mantra if you keep listening to his talk on that dropping out meant like move to the country and be a craftsman Mm -hmm. as well so like, and that's really one of the kind of the benefits of uh, COVID I see is like a way of re COVID, you know, totally sucked obviously, but in how, how the world approached it and all the misinformation and, and everything the attached fear. to it mm-hmm. and the fear that was implanted. And still today, I mean, you still, people see driving around in their car by themselves with masks on mm-hmm. and you're like, okay. <laughs> um, but uh, what it did is it also made us look like, do we really need to go into an office every day? Mm-hmm. You know, do we really need to spend like, you know, it really slowed everything down. And, and I think hopefully there'll be some real lessons that we 
can take from that that period of time about how to slow down, how to maybe get a little closer to the land, and 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 a lot of people got into psychedelics as well. Yeah, needed to find find a way to to experience out there, you know when they're kind of locked away and locked in. Um, so I, I definitely saw a lot of people choosing to experience psychedelics. You covered you covered a lot of different things in that, and and I just I loved it all because. Um, I think uh, one of the things that I kind of really grasped onto is, is COVID was also a very transformational time for me as well. I think it was for a lot of people because we were forced to sit there and like, and really think and like explore ourselves a little bit more. And uh, psychedelics had a huge impact on me during that time. And even uh, it's funny that you kind of mentioned um, uh, your experience with kind of like your divine masculine, divine feminine, and especially like um, using strength to amplify kindness um because that was actually one of the first um lessons that i got from my actually my very first uh, psilocybin experience is i i kind of like melted i kind of like like went and cocooned on my own and then i went and hopped in the shower and just like i saw like everything melting away and the only thing that was left was like strength it was that that was the the mantra that i left with and then you know later on i started to develop the um, kind of the understanding that the, my values were understanding love and kindness. And so I, it just, I, that really resonated with me that you mentioned that because um, that was definitely something that those substances had taught me as well. And I think that's really cool to, to hear more and more people having that experiences uh, that experience specifically. And then I think um, one of the other things that uh, you touched on there, just specifically with uh, the divine feminine and being able to, um, use that knowledge of, you know, interconnectedness, love, caring, um, uh, compassion, and just like an understanding of the earth. Um, that was that was something I'd also kind of been opened up to was like this idea of, uh, of a divine feminine within me, you know, and being able to embrace that and love it and appreciate it. And I think that that is something else that can be a huge value with these substances is just making sure or helping people sort of integrate more fully um, with, uh, with both aspects of their life in that way. Um, and it's interesting that you also brought up, uh, the way that, you know, kind of religion and, you know, our culture had really suppressed, um, the divine feminine women and, um, and sort of like a love for the earth. Cause uh, I'm actually reading this book called the chalice and the blade, which talks exactly about that, about how for most of human history, um, what we consider feminine was actually just very, obvious was sort of like the primary thing that was like uh worshipped or understood in a lot of cultures and it wasn't until these uh like nomadic aryan tribes came through um from these uh from like these arid lands that just didn't have a whole lot of like resources they they developed weapons and uh sort of like very brutish and savage savage uh cultures and norms to go in and uh, essentially colonize all of these other uh cultures and it just swept the entire globe and um, and it sort of like shifted the entire human mindset to uh, to love the the powerful dominating masculine energy. And I think what that also turned into, like you mentioned, was um, like a disregard and and not caring about the earth. Um, and so I think that was that is definitely something that these substances can really help us um, get back to is returning to the earth. And uh, and COVID did that for me too. You know, it forced us to kind of really appreciate outside it, it appreciate our interconnectedness to each other. Um, and so there, I think there was definitely a lot of good things that came out of COVID in terms of, uh, an awakening, uh, you know, sort of that reemergence. And I guess, um, that kind of brings me to my next question about, um, 
about how these su these substances can really play a role in sort of like a political revolution or even an economic revolution uh, specifically. One thing that I often talk about in this podcast is um, the way capitalism has uh, just really decimated the globe, even decimated our interpersonal inter relationships and, um, and used it to separate us and uh, make us fight each other for resources. And I kind of feel like psychedelics have have created have uh, really opened me up to this idea that that's not the way to be organizing ourselves because we need to be organizing on the premise of like interconnectedness and love and sharing and cooperation. Um, so I'd love to hear your perspective on on that specifically. Like, um, you know, with your podcast being the psychedelic revolution, do you see these substances playing a role in a political or economic revolution? Well, I hope so. Uh, you know, I don't see capitalism going anywhere. Mm -hmm. And I still don't think capitalism as a system is all too bad, you know, that terrible. What I'd love to see is, and I had this conversation just the other day, is to see more people with conscious minds and in, in, in big hearts have more capital to deploy it in, in areas that could really help people. You know, if they build uh, vertical farms that could help feed you know, the hungry and, and invest in, in systems like that and, and, and systems that take care of the earth. I think there's a lot of greed that capitalism has obviously uh, continued to, to push the, the greed and the take more than you need component. But I don't, I don't see capitalism really being torn down because there's going to be corruption. And, you know, humans are not that great in general. And we think we've seen that through the course of history. You know, we can romanticize you know, what it was like, you know, to be in like a hunting gathering tribe back in the day. But, you know, if the tribe next door, you were a bunch of assholes, that's still not going to be that great of a place. Right. <laughs> so I think that there's a lot of uh, ignorance and greed in the human species. And I think that's why it's like raising the consciousness of is, is more important than really, you know, pulling down like a capitalism um, paradigm. If we can just begin to treat each other better and, and kinder and, and, and be more heart-centered, then I think the revolution will happen because we'll make decisions that are, are focused more on kinder and inclusive policy. Uh, I think the, the youth is, is something that will be really interesting to see when more people have uh, psychedelic experiences they'll be more compassionate i hope mm. and, and and vote in that direction but you know the the two policies like democrats aren't good and republicans aren't bad and and vice versa i mean the whole system is really just really messed up and and i don't think that there's a way to be involved in in the current political system that is really going to have a ton of good uh you know so it's it, there is a huge room for revolution. I just don't really know what that will look like, mm. to tell you the truth. Um, and I think it's careful to like tear things down because what, you know, you look at like a totalitarian state, I mean, that would be way worse than what we're at now. Mm. And, and I think that it's better to try to work from areas of compassion. Like if you look at like the, the civil rights movement, for instance, um, and, and nonviolence and, and being able to gather. I mean, there's a lot of people, I mean, right now there's protests in Israel, there's protests in France going on. Uh, you know, the people in Russia would certainly be protesting if they could, mm -hmm. right? And I think that the fear 
to protect is that freedom of speech, you know, the freedom to not go to jail for psychedelics, the freedom to, to be able to speak up and, and share your, your viewpoints. I mean, you look at like, you know, some of the people, like even like this, this girl from Russia, I, I read a story the other day, she posted an Instagram post and became a terrorist or, you know, mm. labeled as a terrorist and had to flee Russia just for saying, you know, being able to speak. And if you look back to like the ideals of the American revolution and the constitution, you know, I think we should focus more on like following those ideals um, rather than trying to tear it down personally, mm. because the, the, you know, obviously the ideals for, you know, people of different sexual preferences and races and ethnicities, you know, should be built into the constitution was very much white centered uh, approach, white male-centered approach, when the time, that was the times that they were living in, but we live in different times now, so it should be equality for all, opportunity for all, and I think that that's one of the great things about America, is that there is opportunity uh, can still. I mean, it's it's harder than it used to be, I, su I suppose. I mean, I wasn't around where it used to be, but if you work hard and, and study and, and, you know, focus on, on doing what you do to get ahead, you can pretty much figure that out, hopefully. Mm. At least there's a pathway. Um, but, you know, I think we need to really protect the marginalized aspects of, of society. And hopefully more people who have power and who have the resources can contribute to uplifting the people who don't. And I, I see that like kind of a role as a white man to 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 try to emphasize you know, not only women voices, but um, BIPOC voices and marginalized voices in communities and certainly the indigenous peoples mm -hmm. to protect the indigenous peoples. And, you know, I mean, I look at, have you ever been to the, to the White House? Mm -mm. In the White House, I, I got a cool tour of there a few years ago. And uh, they have all these pictures of Native Americans all around like the foray. They're really beautiful museum pieces of, of Native American chiefs and, and, you know, Sioux Indian Plains and, you know, the Plains Indians and, and different. And, and I feel like, you know, we should really be honoring the Native peoples in this world and Indigenous peoples for their wisdom, way beyond just psychedelics, but certainly for psychedelics as well. But, you know, how they approach viewing life and, and seeing spirit and, and, nature and plants and rocks and 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 really to protect that that knowledge and in, in lore and, and information way more than we do as a culture mm -hmm. and i think that like if we looked at if we had that side of a mindset then i think that capitalism you know would be still a good system i mean when you look at like sometimes giving people a phone in india allows them to feed their family because they're able to do a small business or something like that where they have now have an opportunity to do something where they didn't have that before so there's there's ways to use capitalism to really create a, a better world mm -hmm. uh, i think that's interesting i i I'll, I'll say i disagree um <laughs> but like uh, cuz really for me the the crux of the problem when it comes to capitalism is uh is the fact that it it must prioritize profit and uh, and by doing so pro prioritizing extraction and therefore requires um, you know inequality and so I think there's a lot of contradictions when we believe that like we can use the the spoils of capitalism to help marginalized communities because we in order to gain those spoils we have to exploit those communities and create that inequality and I think that that's where 
um, that's where I really see it as the root of the problem, because even though it, uh, you know, pulls resources, and then we can try to say like, oh, let's get these uh, marginalized groups access to capital, they those uh, with access to capital then need to extract it from other groups. And so it's just this constant need for inequality and, uh, and extraction. And, uh, and I but I do see what you're saying in terms of like, um, it, it's not valuable to simply uh, destroy it. It's not valuable to simply say, okay, well, we're going to identify this one thing and really disregard the way that everything is interconnected and interrelated and just try and tear that down because then I think it will create that totalitarian state that you're referring to, that sort of uh, that vacuum of power. Um, and the, th the reason that I bring that up is because uh, like my experience with psychedelics really opened me up to this idea of like, of community, right? Of in of uh, interconnectedness and understanding each other, each other, and valuing each other's needs. And I just had this very deep sense that capitalism as a system is incapable of caring about people, um, especially just from the uh, the very fundamental nature of working in a you know a, a capitalist environment where you have a totalitarian master who is the capitalist, and then you must. Uh, essentially enslave yourself to them for eight hours a day. You must focus on their goals and their needs and their need, their need for profit. Um, and, uh, and they will pay you as little as possible. And so that was uh, a, a pattern that I started to recognize. And I kind of felt like this just could not be um, the way, you know, the system. And, and then I felt like psychedelics were um, sort of reinforcing that for me, you know, it's sort of telling me like, you know, there needs to be this equity, there needs to be this collaboration and this love. Um, that I felt like our system was incapable of uh, of giving to us, and um, and I kind of also wanted to bring up uh, what you were saying about indigenous cultures because I I do agree that um, their wisdom is very 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 much needed uh, in more spaces than just the psychedelic space. I think we have a lot to learn from them in terms of uh, their use of psychedelics and um, and kind of uh, the the ritualistic sort of sacredness around it. I did I did really love that, but I I also agree that um, that our systems need to embody their their cultures and ideals as well. And I would argue that um, is very antithetical to capitalism in many ways because it was so focused on caring about the needs of the community um, rather than the needs of self. Um, and uh, and I'll, I'll give you a chance to kind of speak to that if you'd like to. And then um, if we'd like to, we can kind of talk more about um, indigenous wisdom in in uh, psychedelics as well as just kind of in community settings and, and why, why we think that they've kind of been largely removed from the conversation and, and uh, kind of just your thoughts on that. Well, have you ever read the book Black Elk Speaks? Mm -mm. No, I haven't. So that's a really beautiful book. Uh, it's Joseph F. 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 Brown. Mm. And he was, uh, so he got to sit with Black Elk, who was a Sioux um, elder. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, sort of he, Black Elk was one of the generations that was, you know, pre-white man and then, you know, with white man and then it was an elder with, at that point. So you kind of saw the, the generation of the Sioux Nation mm -hmm. from what we think is, of, you know, utopia, um, what we, you know, I think would Romanticized. be a great way to live, right? Mm -hmm. yeah, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. But um, and then to living on a reservation in Oklahoma. When he was interviewed to uh, by by Joseph F. Brown, but Joseph F. Brown um, really had a really respect for the Sioux Nation and was documenting a lot of what they talked about, and a lot of it was 
uh, well, you read the, you should really read it, yeah. but it, it, a lot of it is the idea how spirit is everywhere mm. and, and the spirit of God, you know, or what God was, I think it's Wonkin Tonkin, uh, was the word that I believe he used. I probably definitely didn't say that right, <laughs> but it was very much like, um, just being part of, you know, the river had spirit and the rock had spirit and, and, and so did all the animals and you could talk to the animals and, and communicate and be part of the ecosystem and, you know, only take what you need. And I think that's the biggest problem with capitalism is what you said is that it's always extracting more than you need. But, you know, if you created a company, you know, you could pay your employees, you don't have to make a full extraction. Mm. You could make it, you know, pay them really well as well and make a little community within the company. Uh, potentially, and everyone does well, and you know, pay the the people fair wages, and I think that's a way that we can really start to shift the world is to look what you're buying, you know, look where you're buying from, and look at the ethics of that company. And I think that you know, psychedelics, some of the companies in psychedelics try to do that pretty well, but maybe not to the point where they really like, like fully embrace it. But if you look at running, you know, a fair trade coffee, for instance, you know, coffee has a lot of dark history mm. as well. And but, you know, you can you can look to make sure you only buy and support products that are are fair trade or, or you know, treat the animals ethic ethically if you're buying chicken or eggs or milk or whatever the system is and, and that's a way to vote with your dollars because if you're not buying the product that's you know cramming the chickens into these little cages they're going to go out of business and they're going to adjust their pro you know their processes and i think that really as a as a group of buying power is a way to maybe shift the way that capitalism works a little bit mm. and and to look at your own buying habits of, of you know of where you can support you know, women run businesses or minority owned owned businesses. And, and that, that but I, I mean, I'm not, I don't have the answers. I, I don't know where, you know, my problem with just saying capitalism is not a good system is that it's the system we have now, mm. you know, and I want to see change in my lifetime. And I think it would get pretty ugly and dark if we just, you know, if, if there's a huge depression that came and everyone, you know, all of our systems completely got wiped out. Uh, that'd be worse than where we are now. And I also don't really have a lot of faith in humanity mm. where I believe, you know, communism wasn't great for most of the people who lived in like the Soviet bloc and all those communist countries either, because it got equally, you know, right away, it got incredibly corrupt and people at the top kept everything. And that's basically what, how capitalism has been set up now, where if you look at like the 1% of people who own everything, they really own everything. They own like, like more than half compared to the rest of the people. Yeah. And if it was a little yeah. bit distributed a little better and had better processes on how we extract and, and don't always over extract, uh, it might be a better system. But, you know, if you look at, I remember reading about the Gilded Age and, you know, the, the first real gilded merchants like Rockefeller and uh, Carnegie mm -hmm. and, and those type of magnets um the distribution of wealth is is even way worse now 
than it was in the Gilded Age. And you're like, oh, those are, some people had golden toilets and some people didn't get to eat at all. Mm -hmm. Well, that's where we're living in now, but it's yeah. even worse than it was in the Gilded Age. Yeah. And, you know, you look at like the amount of money that people made during COVID, like the 1% made like 16 trillion. I don't even know what the numbers are, but it's insane. It's disgusting, yeah. And, you know, the other thing too is if like, you know, all of our money goes to defense spending. In weapons yeah. and weapons and prisons you know, prisons and the amount of nuclear bombs that we have on this planet is just insane yeah i mean one one of them would be fine so we really need like twenty thousand. Mm. like come on you know yeah i i actually i really agree with a lot of what you're saying and and i uh i appreciate the perspective because um i think you're right that like um, simply just saying, all right, is kind of like what I said earlier, where just saying capitalism is the problem, destroy it now is going to create that vacuum. And it would create darker scenarios than we are experiencing right now. I think you're absolutely right. And I actually like that you really brought up that, um, that book. It was uh, talking with Black Elk, was that? Yeah, Black Elk Speaks. Black Elk Speaks. I'll definitely read that. Um, because I think one of the mindset shifts that would need to occur before maybe we, uh, I guess uh, I'll say, I wonder if it would be better to have this cultural mindset shift, this cultural awakening and, and elevation in consciousness before we leave capitalism in the rear view, um, because I think there's a, a deeper need that be, needs to be addressed. And it was kind of like what you were mentioning in that Black Elk Speaks, because I think it is it's a reverence and an understanding that there is like um, – deep intelligence and deep value in everything around us, um, including each other, the earth and its natural resources that we wholly rely upon. Um, and so, and then I like how you also mentioned um, kind of the need for, uh, for, I guess, to acknowledging that like we are fully reliant on businesses as well. We are fully reliant on the capitalist system as we are, as especially in America, right? And so it really would need to be a change and a shift in those spaces first. Um, I especially like the idea of, of turning businesses into a more communal space into a, and treating them more as a community where we really value each other and, and focus on the fact that we're all collaborating with each other and that each person really has, um, has equal value as a human being. And I think that that is, can kind of be married with that idea of like, that there is spirit in everything, that there is God in everything, right? And understanding that all the people who are there um, contributing to creating that wealth are inherently uh, sacred in their own right as beings. Um, and I think that uh, if there is that kind of cultural shift in business where we are seeing and treating each other that way, and then we expand that to treat the earth that way, um, I do think it would create a lot of the effects that you're referring to and I would, I would also wager that um, if that occurs um, and we build that, that sense well enough, we can overcome that, those problems that you kind of see with humanity as, as a whole, right? We would overcome those problems of humans being very greedy and selfish um, because we, have, we would have already incorporated a new ideal of, um, of equality and inclusivity and, and care and community. And I think that we would eventually just see capitalism exit stage left, if I'm being honest. Um, and I think that that would definitely come from a shift in those ideals and perspectives, which kind of bring it all back around. I really think psychedelics like um, really curate and cultivate those ideals, at least in my experience. And it sounds like in yours too, where 
you know, it was, it was about love and, and kindness and, um, and growth and, and kind of that strength in a more holistic and moral way. Do, do you feel like that's accurate? Yeah, yeah, for sure. You know, I think that, I mean, our reality is only the 3D reality that we live in is, is such a minor part of reality. Mm, that's true. Really? Yeah, yeah. And, and the energy, I mean, we're all energy. And we're just we're matter that is slowed down enough to have like a solid form. Right? But this 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 tables was I mean we everyone's heard the talk. These are just atoms, and there's just space between it. Mm-hmm. And we're really just energy. And I think that psychedelics help you tap into that mm-hmm. that understanding of like your vibration is really what your essence is. And if you're vibrating in in fear, mm-hmm. you know you're gonna you're gonna give off that real low vibration experiences you're going to attract low vibration experiences to you as well whereas in the reverse of that if you're vibrating in joy and in love and confidence and happiness and connection you're going to vibrate on that that vibration as well like the good vibes only Mm -hmm. is such a great like take on that but it's so true Mm -hmm. as well and you know that too when you are acting you know, in your highest self, like your love and your happiness, and you can you can accomplish anything, in really, in 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 and really be successful. And I think we need really need to define as a culture what it means to be successful. Mm. And I think capitalism, you know, the Puritan capitalism really came out of like the Puritan mindset was like work, 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 and then you know God will reward you. Yeah, and and we still are dealing with that, that trauma mm. of, of our past generations. And, you know, it's like that, that, uh, you know, smoke two joints song, you know, <laughs> hard work, good, you know, hard work, great, but first take care of head. And I think that you've got to really approach that. And like, you know, I, I really have been fortunate enough where I've run my own business and I get to spend a lot of time with my kids. Mm. Um, and, and as they grow up and, and, be really present with their lives at this period of my of my life and i think that you know i wouldn't have been able to do that without being able to have my own business mm-hmm. you know and, I, I'm, and it's very difficult me for me to work for someone else mm-hmm. at this point because i i gotta i make my schedule mm-hmm. you know i mean uh, even to the point where i'm like i don't really do zoom calls like call me because i might not be at my desk i yeah. might be in the on a hike or something mm-hmm. you know like I just don't need to be trapped trapped in, in even I work from I work from home since 20 you know 2003. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't a change for me, right? Just that more people have realized how to do it mm-hmm. and it's been more acceptable uh which is good cuz it's more acceptable for now to like apply to a job that's hybrid or remote, you know, <laughs> yeah. oh my god, you came that wasn't even possible a couple of years ago, mm-hmm. right? So um yeah, it's just I think psychedelics you know, get back to the psychedelic is it opens people up to new perspectives and perspectives that create even more reality that, that seem even, you know, once you realize your connectedness to all the molecules that are floating around you, that's really the interconnectedness. It's like your Buddhism emptiness Mm. uh, vibe. And, you know, I get really, I, I'm a Buddhist by nature. So, you know, when I, end up in a psychedelic world it's it's very much connecting to my core belief system of buddhism mm. and and what that means to me is is really you know karma 
and the golden rule of living how you want to, you know, treat others how you want to be treated and, and live from a heart-centered perspective and to spread love and joy and, and you know, treat others as you want to be treated, really. You know, the golden rule is just a really beautiful way to live. And I think psychedelics bring that back to you. I mean, you don't want to start, like, coming up with ways to rob people and steal people, you know, and, and, and take advantage of people. Although, you know, that, that does come out sometimes in psychedelics as well. So it's not like psychedelics are really an end-all and be-all. But, you know, there's one thing I wanted to touch on. I'm not sure if you, this is something that's come up recently in a few different discussions about, um, like, when you're doing psychedelics, you're really opening yourselves up to other energies mm -hmm. as well. And, and, you, and it's not always, like, the universe is not only composed of good energies and positive mm -hmm. energies. There's a lot of darkness and, 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 and negative, and you can get entities that can be attached to you as well through a lot of psychedelic exposure because you're you're open you're open to different energy fields and a lot of those energy fields can really be love and, and power and, and and good um you know goddess energies as well but you, if you're not aware in in doing protections and having people to talk to you can also get attached to really negative energies as well mm. and i think there's something to be aware of that and that's like the more sophistication of psychedelic journeys and working with more sophisticated guides. And I think a lot of the, that's really where some of the more like mystical um, indigenous teachings are so important, you know, and like Carlos Castadina, you know, there was a lot of other side and, you know, sorcery energy as well that, that you're open to. And I don't know if you've ever experienced any, anything like that or have a, uh, sort of seen some of the weirder things in psychedelics to be aware of. But I think that what what you're really doing is you're opening up different wormholes to energy centers and, you know, on your higher psychedelic journeys. And I think there's something to be aware of, you know, your mindset when you go into a psychedelic journey is what also, you know, law of attraction is there something like one of the main principles I believe in on this on this planet and, and in any planet rather um, the energy that you put out is the energy you attract. Mm -hmm. And if you're coming in like with a dark, hateful energy, you, you might attract some dark, hateful energy to you mm -hmm. and in some entities that entities that can attach to you. I know that we just, I just saw a podcast with Jordan Peterson and Dennis McKenna mm. uh, talking about this entity. And I think that's really, you know, if you don't believe me, then that's a great place to start. But, you know, there's really lots of parallel. I mean, do you believe in parallel universes? Yeah, I think I do. Yeah. Sort of like multi, multi, multiverse and everything. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the multiverse is like the, yeah, it's, it, you know, the, the idea that like Facebook's kind of co-opted this multiverse. <laughs> but there's really like one of the really interesting ways of looking at this is that you, you can be on this planet and living in totally different vibrations and, and universes than others. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's really true. And sometimes when you raise your vibration, you know, people who were previous in your other vibration, um, no longer really fit in mm -hmm. to that vibration. And you find like new friends and, and new experiences. Um, and, you know, you, you kind of leave people behind who aren't who aren't you know, raising their consciousness up. Yeah. And, and I've noticed that as I've gotten older. 
And but you can you can create a whole reality that's your it's only I mean your reality is is your reality. It's no one else's. And you can create that and you can live in fear or you can live in love. And those are really your choices. And the, that's a parallel universe by itself, mm -hmm. right? But I, I mean, I think that there's plenty of other ways to exist as well. And, you know, I think there's 12, you know, different, different realms that we all kind of have a foot in or some energy, energy into. And psychedelics begins to open up this mindset and uh, the acceptance of more than just, you know, Kyle in this 3D body mm -hmm. and, and, you know, what I'm supposed to be doing and who, what am I supposed to be doing? Who knows? I mean, a lot of those things have been pre-programmed from conditioning and some society and from my parents and from experiences I had in the womb and, you know, experiences that my mom had when I was in the womb and, and experiences that her grandmother and the grandmother before and grandparents all had, you know, generational trauma. I really believe in, and, you know, that is something that we all are, are healing. Mm -hmm. And I don't know what you think about like the idea of like seven generations in terms of the native American approach. But if you go seven generations back and the decisions that we're making now, seven generations worth, you know, seven generations back is like a long time ago. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it is. <laughs> But I mean, I don't even know exactly who my relatives were seven generations back. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it's interesting because um, I, I do agree with a lot of what you said. Um, and it's uh, I also want to kind of clarify that, um, you know, what you said about, um, you know, like owning a business and being able to have that that freedom and um, and that ability to like, you know, spend time with your kids and, and have a more open schedule that works better for you. Um, that's I mean, I was recently fired from my job. Uh, I believe for trying to unionize my my work, and um, and I've been just like terrified of just going back to another job where it feels like somebody kind of owns me or like I'm gonna have to work for somebody. And so I've really been thinking a lot about starting my own business and trying to figure out kind of that that whole process because I think it in this in this world right now in this reality <laughs> is uh, is a means of freedom and is is a means of uh, of being able to to uh have those opportunities that you're discussing so i i truly uh i truly believe that it is valuable and i and i'd love to see kind of that growth and being able to um operate a business the way that i think is more ethical and things like that um and kind of just pulling in all of the all of the uh you know other points that you were mentioning about sort of the the cosmic truth and the the fact that like there's all these different realities and energies that we're being exposed to both you know, under a psychedelic experience and, you know, outside of a psychedelic experience. Um, I think that that is, that is totally valid and totally relevant. And there's just, there's so much that we have to be aware of and, and kind of come back to like our, our values and the things that, that truly, truly matter to us so that we can navigate that complex, infinitely, uh, infinitely complexifying web. And, um, and so I, I do appreciate you bringing that up and especially kind of mentioning the, the intergenerational trauma being starting to use these experiences to become aware of like what factors have influenced us or are currently influencing us and how we'll continue to influence, you know, everybody else in our spaces um, with with all that knowledge, because I think that that kind of awareness and uh rising consciousness is going to be uh is going to be really really big and a, and a huge piece of how we kind of move forward 
so that we can actually um, give more power and more strength to the the ideals that we truly care about, like understanding love and kindness, um, instead of these other energies, like you're referring to the, those kind of darker energies and entities that that can very easily grasp us in um, sort of a darkening world that we're seeing right now. So I really do appreciate that perspective. Yeah. Uh, well, happy to, you know, talk to more about any, any topic you want to go, go with. I could keep just, you know, I think, I think, I think that there should be, I mean, it, being alive is beautiful. Mm -hmm. It is an amazing lucky gift we we have to be, here right now and technology is beautiful too and this ability for us to be able to communicate through these computers mm -hmm. and with the technology i mean that was all started from people having brilliant ideas and, and capital behind it to, mm -hmm. to make that happen and but i think that you know it has to come back to values and and how you as a society like what type of values do we want i mean and i mean if we had a, a world where we could everyone could work 20 hours a week and have enough to feed their family and, and a roof on their heads and, and, you know, spend the other 20 hours a week, you know, playing with their children who, all, you know, and I mean, there's the, the world we create that has been shaped is not the way it has to be. Mm. Right. So like capitalism doesn't have to act the way that it, it does now, like a free market is not, the the problem it's it's how people have engaged with the free market to exploit 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 and why people you know some of the i, I don't know many billionaires but i've heard that some of the billionaires are like the most miserable people on earth hmm. and and i totally kind of agree with that you know i, I wouldn't be miserable i know that <laughs> but i also don't think i would keep more than like 50 million dollars either hmm. i think i'd be like quickly distributing it and have all sorts of cool things going on like you know, I always fantasize about yeah. like what it would be like to be a billionaire. And I've came so close to making so much money so many times that I'm like, I, I just, just on like, I knew to buy Apple stock in 2000, <laughs> like everyone did, you know, I mean, Apple, I mean, when they came out with the iPhone, it was like the most clear, like symbol of like, this is going to be a good company mm -hmm. or Tesla. I mean, these awesome cars that don't run on gas. Okay. Like, I, of course I didn't do that. But it's not that freaking difficult to pick something out. Of course, you need some capital to begin with. But like, I think everyone can go back and like, oh, you know, it would have been nice to have bought a home in 1990, right? Yeah, or in 2008. Oh, they're really, <laughs> they seemed really expensive then too, yeah. right? But at the same time, like, I don't think it's that difficult to make enough. And I'm not in a position, I mean, I'm, I, I'm, I'm not rich, you know? Mm -hmm. Right now, I know it sounds like I'm talking like I am, but I'm, I'm I'm richer than a lot more people. But I'm certainly like living paycheck to paycheck right now, as I'm kind of in between companies. Mm -hmm. You know, in, in in between companies, I mean, I'm trying to start another company, and I closed down a company I ran for 15 years, mm -hmm. and just exited because it, it failed in COVID. You know, it got crushed. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, like um, I, I feel intense gratitude for for my life and for my my brain. And for the ability to to have these conversations and for other people to start resonating with that. I mean, that's one of the things that I'm really lucky. I mean, if you just drop into a lot of places in society and start having this podcast, people are gonna be like, dude, that guy's fucked in the head. Right. <laughs> and you and I are like the same know, debating <laughs> the intricacies of of 
of like a capitalist system that we're going to tear down and rebuild through <laughs> mushrooms, you know? Exactly. Uh, and it's not that far-fetched for us. I mean, there's ways, like, it's very possible that that could happen. Mm -hmm. And I really believe that. I think that, you know, a couple of years ago, there was a meteor that just missed the Earth. And it was like, like it would have been the equivalent of like four Hiroshima's, oh like the, the impact it would have had. And I remember being like, you know, that would have sucked in, initially, but that might have been like what we need to wake up, you know, <laughs> like start over. <laughs> well, like if a nuclear bomb goes off, like if Russia said, like, God forbid, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I think people would be like, what the fuck? You know, like we got to really just like, all right, like scrap everything. Like everything will be scrapped. Yeah. Like work, <laughs> work will no longer matter. You know, like I don't think you really worry about paying your bills no. either. And and I think that people might be like, you know what, like, you know, because a couple people are are like in control of resources and power that like the the ninety nine percent of people are at at their whim. Like that 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 could flip pretty quickly. Yeah. You know, if people just decide to uh to to flip it mm -hmm. and, and and you know like when like communism came down it came down pretty quick and unfortunately like you know <laughs> this is this is a little controversial statement but like i mean if bill clinton didn't get a blowjob in the in in, in the white house putin never would have risen to power <laughs> you know okay and that's just my personal opinion because in the 90s like russia was really really on the outs mm -hmm. and and we kind of had our foot on their throat of like controlling their economy and things. And then, then Monica Lewinsky, you know, and Bill Clinton got that together and then Bill got impeached and took his eye off of Russia. And, and that's when Putin rose up through the ranks. Wow. I did not know that. <laughs> and that's just my personal opinion in okay. history, you know, <laughs> is that like th those little things make a huge difference, yeah. you know, I guess. And uh, I don't know. That's kind of what I'm hearing from this whole thing is just like, I mean, this this universe is so vast. The, there's infinite possibilities. Like, like uh, anything could change at any moment. And uh, I guess it's, it's it's all about right now, right? It's all about this present moment that uh, that we'll kind of just continue to live in and exist in, and, and whatever happens happens, right? Because it's like you're saying, like uh, like one small event could change everything. Um, but uh, we also have no idea what that could look like. Well, the present moment is all we have. Mm -hmm. And this is it. I mean, you can, if you live in like a fear-based mentality is based on the future, mm. right? You, the past is based on like, you know, if you live in, in the past, it's on regret mm -hmm. and, and how you acted before, but, but you can't go back. You can't change the past, mm -hmm. um, which I think a lot of what psychedelics also teaches you is that it's really about self-love. Mm. And, and I think that psychedelics can really open up people to be like, you know what? I need to love myself and have respect for myself and to be able to forgive myself for any mistakes and actions that I regret doing. But if you just wallow in, I'm awful, I'm the worst, I'm, I made these mistakes, like you never can really progress as, as, a, as a human. Mm. And I think that psychedelics open that up too for like healing and and allow you to look at maybe some trauma in the past that whether it, was, it might not even have been your fault at all, but it, you know, how you, ex what you experienced is something to heal and, and to work through and, and to forgive yourself so that you can have more self-love.
And I think that, that self-love is something that those like those are tools that should be taught in school, mm. you know, and 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 forgiveness and 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 opening up and and particularly when we talked about like as a masculine energy, I mean tapping into your divine feminine is a lot about tapping into your self-love. Mm-hmm. It's that nurturing grandma energy that like you 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 need to be able to master that technique of like really respecting yourself and forgiving yourself and loving yourself. I think that's also what psychedelics have taught me in like my later years, you know, my more mature approach to it is like whatever errors or, you know, every, everyone has bad days, right? And it's whether you wallow in that bad day of, you know, you, I wasn't my highest self yesterday. Okay. Sure. But I went to bed and I woke up and I said, Oh, today I'm going to do my best to be my highest self and put that day behind me and, and move forward. And I think that that's really what psychedelics have also taught me is that like you, you do your best to be your kindest and most highest vibrational self. And, and that's all you can really do. Yeah. And, 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 and you forgive yourself when you don't do it. And you obviously, you know, put in practices that help like yoga and meditation and exercise and eating better and, and just honor your, your body by taking care of it as well. You know, I find what's really interesting is uh, there's way, way less alcohol yeah. around the psychedelic space. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it's not like, I mean, I found that myself. But then I real like I go to these events and there's no alcohol, and and it's great because I don't want it, yeah. want it anyway. Right. But at the same time, like no one else wants it either. Yeah, it's not even like an option, and no one's being like, "Hey, where's the wine or the beer?" Yeah, nobody's even looking for it, which is really cool. Mm-hmm. We're really different, right? I mean, that's a huge shift by itself. Yeah, it is. One of the problems with the cannabis industry is that so I, my my history with cannabis is is long and sorted um, <laughs> where basically as soon as I finished my athletic career in college, I mean, high school, I, I knew I wasn't good enough to be an athletic uh, athlete in college. So I just like started smoking pot <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> and, and I knew it like I made the transition, like my last game and I'm like, all right, now I'm, now I'm, my athletic career is over and I'll move Don't into go lab and joint. Know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, but for the first like two months of smoking pot, I'm like, this shit's not working. Cause I expected it to be like LSD, mm. you know, I expected like all the, the, all of what I read about it. I'm just like, no, nah, it's not working. You know? And they're like, dude, it is like, you're just as high as we are. And I'm like, no, no, like the walls are still there. dude. Like, it's fine. <laughs> so I really like, I'm like, I thought it didn't work for me until I realized what, what it was supposed to be doing. Mm-hmm. Um, but getting back to the problem with the cannabis industry. So I was a member of the very first, Cannabis Cultivators Club in San Francisco with uh, Dennis Perone, who is one of my heroes. Dennis Perone is the, do you know who Dennis Perone is? Mm-hmm. Okay, so Dennis Perone uh, wrote the first medical marijuana bill in California. Mm-hmm. I think it was Prop 215, um, which was, you know, medical marijuana use. And, and during the AIDS crisis, in, in, he lived in San Francisco, and during the AIDS crisis, uh, he sold pot out of his store to people, anyone, but to mostly people who had, an, you know, had AIDS and, and wanted to 
to smoke pot to help deal with the the pain and, mm-hmm. and the, all the things that went with AIDS. And AIDS was a really incredible crisis in that area, in the Castro area. I mean, it was the very the gay population of San Francisco, and you know, houses became hospices and stuff like that. It was just terrible. Mm-hmm. And um, and then he, he so he evolved in writing the first medical marijuana um, bill. And I was I had a I was a card carrying member to that. You know, I, I was a caregiver for my friend who wasn't really sick. There was some leniency on, on getting people in there. Mm-hmm. And um, it was a three-story building on Market Street. And it was a really beautiful place. And it was this big loft. And there were a lot of sick people, a lot of people with AIDS, a lot of people who were just sick. And then there was, a, a you know, a third of the population were like people like myself that were just like potheads that wanted to go in there. And you would like go in and buy like the good strain and then you'd sit down and, and people would like wheel up in their wheelchairs and join your table and you would smoke them all up, you know, cause you in like, that's how, how it worked. Mm-hmm. Right. And, uh, and you just, but you'd talk and hang out with them and, and it was a really beautiful experience. And that led to, um, you know, all the marijuana medical marijuana initiatives throughout the country. It was the work Dennis started and others, but, um, what you know this idea of not having like a place to socialize where you buy your pot and you leave right there's not like a a restaurant or a place where you can sit down and 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 hang out mm-hmm. i mean there there are some of them but i think that there should be a lot more you know in in centers where you could have like music and and you know it could be like a yoga studio where you can also smoke pot yeah you know and and vice versa and that that's something that like they didn't set that structure right and I think that, you know, down the road, I can see a combination of like conscious medicine centers developing where there'd be like social centers mm-hmm. and social, uh, you know, places where people can meet and gather and, and have community. And, and it won't only be about like the psychedelics, so it could be a, a small portion. It could be meditation mm-hmm. and sound healing and, and uh, you know, alternative medicine, acupuncture, all those things will be kind of combined in, in different, different genres and different buildings and different communities and people will, will communicate, communicate. Yeah. I think we'll definitely start to see more of that just as the, the, the cultural consciousness really grows around all of these, uh, these substances, these plant medicines, these alternative medicines. I think we'll definitely see more of kind of a a collective embrace of those things. Um, but we're, we're getting close. We're pretty much running up on time here. Um, so we can kind of, uh, start leading out here, but, uh, Kyle, I just wanted to say thank you so much for, uh, coming onto the kindness rebellion and, and sharing your experiences and, and, uh, and your wisdom on, on these, on these substances and, and just kind of hearing me rant about capitalism for a little bit and, uh, and being a good, and just being great about, uh, kind of engaging with me there and having these discussions, this, these experiences are very, very important for me. And, uh, and I, I really love um, being able to work with other podcasters and uh, and just keep sharing information, growing and learning so, so much, um, especially com- some of the books uh, that we mentioned here. I'm definitely going to go check out and add them to my Audible. So just want to say thank you so much. And we'll definitely uh, we'll definitely keep in touch. Do you want to let us know of uh, kind of like all of your socials, uh, places where people can check you out and uh, listen to your content and uh, get to know you? Yeah, sure. So the um, there's another book too. There's a, the Black Elk Speaks mm-hmm. is one of them, and then there's another book by the same um, called the Spiritual Legacy Legacy of the American Indian, mm. and and that's also by Joseph F. Browns. That's a great book. Nice. Uh, and uh, really 
gives a lot of background on different native tribes and their philosophies around spirit and religion are what we would say religion and they would say their way of life <laughs> and i think that's the difference yeah um and then so the rising consciousness community is the organization that i started and we generally have some conferences we will be planning that the website kind of sucks right now but you know it's risingconsciousness.org and then we have uh, the podcast is psychedelic-revolution. And those are the two main things. The rising consciousness community is the, the Instagram. kind of holds it all together. And I post up there mostly. Um, so those are, those are the, the, the ways to reach me. And, you know, anyone I'm happy to talk to any, at any time. So if people have questions, I'm always just, just email me, kyle at risingconsciousness.org. And I, you know, give a lot of advice to people about they're doing journeys or looking for guides or retreat centers. And that's sort of where the rising consciousness is becoming sort of like a resource center for cool courses. You know, there's an ayahuasca microdosing course mm -hmm. in, in Peru that you, people can learn about and go, go do ayahuasca microdosing and a lot of really cool retreats of different members of the um, rising consciousness community. You know, there's a great cultivating uh, course going on with um, Oakland uh, Oakland Haife. Oh yeah, awesome. And 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 you know, there's a lot of great resources for people. And and um, you know, my whole goal is to really create a safe way for people to explore their consciousness without going to jail and without having any abuse happen. So that's the main the main message is really be, you know, trust your intuition when you're choosing a guide and and you know, ask for references, ask for uh, whatever you think, you know, look at it like if you're going to get like eye surgery, you know, how would you choose your eye surgeon? And that's what I say, choose this, you know, use the same level of diligence when selecting your guide. Um, and when you're choosing, you know, your medicine provider as well. And just just be really conscious, because I really believe that even the energy that people put into growing mushrooms, that's going to affect your experience, you know, so if you're just getting them from like, you know, someone that's just looking to be an extractive capitalist, then you're going to not get that full, full earth energy vibe. Mm -hmm. So, you know, just, just be really conscious that you're dealing with energy when you're dealing with psychedelics and you want to want to try to stay in the really positive, joyful, um, kind, kindness and love. So I love your work and thank you for having me on. And, and hopefully I shared something of interest and uh, wisdom. You definitely did. Thank you so much, Kyle. All right, thank you.